work out how to do. James is going to speak now, and our spirits are going to come alive because he's been bringing such insight and authority and fire to us this weekend. But he's not going to speak for about 10 minutes. So we're just going to just be okay with the timings and work it all out, and um, then we'll go with it. Uh, I think that's all I need to say. Um, I, I must say that uh, we just had a great day yesterday, and we're slightly full of it, physically broken. I'm losing my voice. Uh, just, you know, all of that. But the Lord was filling our spirits full of what I think is really instrumental to the next season in the life of our church. So if you weren't here, please do catch up uh, with what we were learning and discovering. But this man, he's given his life to sowing in prayer. And uh, I just want to honor you, James, because you come. I must just say, those are the whitest trainers any of us country people have ever seen. And you can tell he's from the city because you'd never get away with white trainers like that in the countryside. They'll be muddy. They'll be, they'll be like a sort of beige within about five minutes. But anyway, let's try and get him out of here clean. This guy's from Manchester. He runs a ministry called Prayer Storm. Uh, he's particularly raising up prayer uh, amongst young adults, teenagers, but really equipping churches right across the nation. And we give thanks to God for you. So James Aladdin, everybody. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. It has been an intense weekend. You know, yesterday I preached about killing the flesh. This morning I woke up thinking, oh Lord, have mercy. <laughs> I just want to sleep some more. <laughs> oh, my boy, it's been an incredible time. My wife and I have been so blessed. And I love the freedom. I mean, I've never been, I've, I've preached in many, many places. I've never been to anywhere where the leader, the pastor is like, okay, this morning we're just switching things around and we're just going to go as long as we need to, if you need to sleep out. I love that. I love that kind of flexibility. And considering this is Church of England, I'm even more shocked about that. <laughs> so it's so good to be with you. And uh, my voice is kind of, you know, a bit weird this morning as well, but it's all good. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here. We're so thankful for how you've been stirring our hearts and, uh, <clears throat> and how you've been awakening us uh, to your calling for us to be a house of prayer for all nations. And Lord, this morning as we go into your word, we ask for more revelation that brings about transformation. Would you bring light to areas where there's ignorance or darkness or deception? Would your truth prevail? And would you awaken us more to all that you are in Jesus' name? Amen. 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 Today we're going to be uh, starting from Matthew 18, verse 15. Uh, just to kind of give a recap, yesterday uh, morning we did two sessions or two teaching sessions, very much focused on devotional prayer, foundational things to do with uh, prayer, and how to have the right foundations, right, how to have the right foundations for longevity. Um, and then uh, in the afternoon, we had a, 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 a session with the leaders about prayer leadership. I know that was only for a few people. And then in the evening, we talked a lot more about contending prayer. Uh, this morning, I want to uh, touch on something that I don't often hear people talk about in connection to prayer. But in my experience, this has been vital for sustaining corporate prayer and sustaining a culture of prayer. How many realize prayer is not just about the words you speak? You know, heaven is not just listening to your words, but heaven, heaven is listening to your heart. And so David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. So it's not just okay to have good words. 
what's more important is a heart that's aligned with heaven's priorities and heaven's emphasis. And so, uh, actually, effective prayer starts in the heart. You know, David said in Psalm 27, 4, I believe, uh, one thing I have desired. So there's a desire being stirred up in him. In fact, let me just, before we read the scripture, let me go up on a tangent, just talking about desire. Some years ago, um, my wife and I were praying together, and at the time, our son Justice was maybe three or so years old. And so we're praying together, and if you've met Justice, he's like so energetic, full of life, like we're not sit still. And so he was like that. And so I, I don't know if it was myself or my wife, one of us just decided, you know, let's just let him go and play and do whatever he wants to do. So we carried on praying. And after a while, I noticed everything was quiet. And now if you've got kids and they're usually noisy and everything goes quiet, you know that is the time you should be worried. <laughs> so I'm like, what's happened? Where is he? Where is he? Anyway, so I'm walking around the house looking for justice. I can't find him. Anyway, I found him in the bathroom. And so when I found him, he had been playing with the toilet roll and the toilet roll had fallen into the toilet. So I walked in on him, picking out the toilet roll from inside the toilet and sucking on it. <laughs> So I was like, ah! And so Rebecca heard me screaming, and she was like, what's going on? So she comes in, and her response is still baffling to me to this day. She says, oh, he's thirsty. <laughs> I'm thinking, what, what do you mean he's thirsty? <laughs> so anyway, I'm just thinking about this during the day, and then I'm having a conversation with some friends, and then it dawns on me as we're talking about this crazy incident that just happened, that this generation is thirsty, but we're drinking from the toilet. <laughs> and so it's okay to be thirsty. It's just very important to be cautious and careful about what we're filling that thirst with. Because the world has so much to offer and the distractions. And so what tends to happen is many of us come to settings like this, the church and worship services, but we come full on the wrong diet. So the space for God is squashed by all the stuff we've filled up our hearts and desires with. And I believe God is in the business of refining our desires, refining our appetites in such a way that our appetite for Him becomes more prominent than anything else. I think it was John Piper that said, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. Has God ever become your entertainment where you're like, okay, I don't have much to do today, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get myself connected in a deep way to the presence of God. Like, I don't know how many people find that as a default position when they have free time, but God can become that which satisfies desires within us. And you see, all of us have got desires in our hearts that God has actually placed there, but sometimes that desire can be squashed by the cares of this world and all these other anxieties and fill in the blank. So the more we spend time with God, that desire, that appetite is cultivated. I don't know if uh, there are many coffee addicts here. I don't drink coffee that much, but I'm going to be drinking coffee t this afternoon on my way back to Manchester because <laughs> I need to stay awake. So... I don't really, I'm not really into coffee, but, you know, I have family members and friends that are into coffee, and, you know, they're so into the taste and into this, into that, and it just, some, I don't know how it works, but I'm convinced that you're not born with a desire for coffee. Is that a fair point? My, my nine-year-old does not desire coffee, 
But the more you have it, your appetite gets adjusted and your desires get changed by having it more. Well, I believe the same is true spiritually, that you could have a desire for God that's kind of small, but you have a good, you know, you're sincere, but your desire is still in a kind of maybe immature, non-consuming not, not desire yet. But you love God. That's why you're here. Now, as you feed on Him, as you seek Him, as you gather, as you pray, as you worship, as you do these things, you cultivate that desire to a point where it starts to overwhelm you. And it becomes defining for your whole life. Now, I don't know why I went in that direction, but this is where I really want to go. Matthew 18, verse 15. When we talk about sustaining a life of prayer, we often don't think about this dimension uh, that I am convinced is so important when it comes to um, just what God wants to do in this congregation and with this church and with the community here. We can't talk about prayer without talking about this because I've seen people give themselves to prayer and not have some of these uh, foundational understandings of sustaining that culture, and the enemy easily comes in and actually causes us to be ineffective. So let's read. Matthew 18, 11 says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And he, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Verse 18, Assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, you see how it's transitioned to prayer. <laughs> do, you see how we, do you see how Jesus transitioned to prayer from relational disputes and resolution. He's transitioned straight to prayer. And you see the same pattern in another scripture we'll look at in a few moments. It says, shortly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I kind of touched briefly on this yesterday, saying effective prayer as far as when Jesus was talking to uh, Peter and says, I give you the keys of the kingdom, whatever you bind on earth, actually what he's saying is, will be what's already bound in heaven. And those keys, just to reiterate, the keys that the Lord said he was giving Peter, which we can put ourselves in that mix as well, are keys of revelation. And keys give you access to doors. And the doors that Jesus was giving Peter and the church access to are doors in heaven, not doors on earth. I give you keys of the kingdom. So those keys are going to open doors that give you access to revelations and ideas and what God, what's on God's mind. And when you see through access that some things are bound in heaven, then you can have authority to bind it on the earth. Because it first happens in heaven, then you can do it on the earth. Are you tracking with me? So here, it's like Jesus is reiterating that same point. But talking to, the, to, uh, to his disciples, Assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. In, in essence, what he's saying, will be what's already been bound in heaven. Okay. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, verse 19, it says, again, we're going to some more kind of uh, interesting uh, things. We quote these scriptures every, uh, every so often. Some of you will be familiar with this. Again, I say to you, if two... If two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, 
I am in the midst of them. Now, in that scripture we just read, Jesus talks about relationships, and then he talks about effective prayer. That's my summary, and obviously you can break it down a lot more. Now, let's look at James 5. <clears throat> James 5, 16. It says, confess your sins, or my transition actually says trans trespasses. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. I love the way it says this in the Amplified. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man makes tremendous power available, effective in its working. But look at the context of that verse. The context, talking about effective prayer, starts with saying, confess your sins one to another. Notice it doesn't say confess your sins to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying we don't do that, by the way. But the emphasis is on relationship. And then from effective relationship, we go into effective prayer. And I want to start this teaching by saying this statement that may be a shock to you, but has become a strong value system for me and my community. And oftentimes when I get opportunities to teach on prayer, especially corporate prayer, uh, to congregations that are wanting to go deep in prayer or leadership teams that are wanting to build a prayer culture, I often say things like this. Listen, the constitution of your community as a congregation is more important than the fervency of your prayers. I'll repeat that again. The constitution of your community is more important than the fervency of your prayers. Now, what do I mean by that? It doesn't matter how fervent you're praying as a community, if there is disunity in your ranks and your relationships are out of order, it neutralizes the effectiveness of your corporate prayer. Heaven is concerned about how we treat one another. Not just when we're together, but how we talk about one another when we're not together. Because all those things that we do have an impact on our spiritual ranking as a congregation. So when we come together to pray and we come together to worship, heaven is looking at the life behind the prayer, the life behind the worship. You could have people gather like this in the congregation and we're all singing, Jesus, we love you. But one person at the back of the church is upset about someone over here because of some something they fell out with some, you know, some weeks ago. And then someone else at the back of the church over there has been gossiping about something they heard someone say about this other person over here. And then the person over there is upset with the guy at the door because they didn't greet them properly when they walked in the church. And then this person over here is upset with that one over there because last week they looked at them in a funny way and they felt like they had some issues against them. And then this person over here is kind of jealous of that couple over there because they've been wanting a child for a long time and that couple got a child and now they feel grieved and they feel upset. Not that they're not happy for them, but they're also kind of feeling jealous about it. And this, are you with me? And all of us are saying, Jesus, we love you. Now, that worship is ascending to heaven, but it's contaminated worship. Because it sounds good in the natural, but there's lots, there are lots of things in our hearts that we are still holding on to, but still singing. So there is no way God is pleased with that. Now, he hears it, and it's like, well, why, if I, didn't Jesus say, if you come to offer your sacrifice or your worship and your brother has something against you, you know what he said? Leave the gift. But 
you realize many of us don't actually do what Jesus said. Which is like, oh boy, it doesn't matter. He, you know, we just carry on. But he actually meant what he said because not dealing with those relational issues affects our effectiveness as a body in spiritual activities. I'm sure you take communion together. And I don't think I've heard anyone teach on this, but it has been, uh, I've been feeling the fear of God about communion lately. Because Paul says some scary things about communion. He says, many of you are sick and some are dead because you did not discern the body. And that context is in communion. So when you take communion, you're making a declaration about your unity with one another and about your unity with God. So when relationships are broken and the envies and jealousies and competitions and all these things in the ranks and it's tolerated and not challenged or expelled in terms of the negative emotions, then you're confirming and you're agreeing with that emotion while you're declaring you're one with a body of people. It's like if I were to smash a hammer on your finger, it doesn't matter how tiny the finger is, the whole body is going to react. You're not a body part, you're a part of the body. Oh, let me say this, you're not just a body part, you're part of the body. Because you're part of the body, what affects one part affects the whole. Now, James might not necessarily know what's going on in your heart, and he doesn't necessarily know what's going on in everyone's heart, but if you have a certain negative thoughts, emotions, attitudes, and you come together in this space, and all together we agree that we're going to seek God for a move of His Spirit in this area. And you are saying amen to that. Your amen is not real unity. Unity is not the fact that you said amen to my prayer. Unity is that our hearts are okay with one another. My heart is at peace with your heart. And there is nothing there. So when we get together to pray... There, there are no barriers. There's nothing that's blocking our harmony. I'm going to touch on that some more. Now, we come back to this passage in Matthew 18. This is what it says. If your brother sins against you, you can add if your sister sins against you. It says, go and tell him his fault. And emphasize it again. Between you and him alone. Do you know this is not what we do? If your brother sings against you, you know what tends to happen? You go and tell him, you go and tell her, you go and tell that person, apart from the person who sinned against you. There is a reason why Jesus gave this prescription. Because if, if James sings against me, and I don't go directly to him and say, hey, this happened and we talk it through, and I go to Nigel, and I go to my brother over here, and I go to my brother over here, but I've not come to him, Let's just imagine some weeks down the line, we resolve it. I've still sowed a seed in your mind about how you're going to see him from now on. And I might not even bother to come and tell you that it's resolved. And because I've sown that seed in your heart, that seed can become a landing strip for the enemy to bring further discord months down the line. Because I never resolved that. It's amazing to me how offended people easily find each other in the church. Have you noticed? <laughs> because it's spiritual. 
I mean, I'm a church. By the way, just so you understand the context, I mean, I'm not just an itinerant minister traveling preaching away. I'm also a church leader. So I deal with issues like what I'm talking about right here. It's amazing to me how people could be from completely different, different demographics, different, as in, I would not put the two people together in any context whatsoever. But because the issues they're dealing with is similar, it's amazing how in a congregation of 200 people, somehow, supernaturally, they find each other. And their communication together starts to build on their common agreement in offense and their common hurt and baggage. And without realizing it, they form a stronghold together. And they become an access point, whether they know it or not, for the enemy to actually bring disunity and cause issues within the congregation. It's amazing that the same Peter who was used by the Holy Spirit, who God gave revelation about who Jesus was, one moment he says, you're Christ, the Son of the living God. The next moment he's telling Jesus not to go to the cross. And Jesus turns around and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus was not talking to Peter. He was talking to the Spirit that was speaking through Peter. And do do we often discern that sometimes... And by the way, you look at what Jesus says about Peter. In fact, you know what? Let me just go there because I think that would be helpful to kind of understand uh, some things. Where is it now? Is, um, someone help me find it. Is, is it Matthew 16? Yes, Matthew 16. Uh, he turned to Peter, Matthew 16, 23. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Listen to what it says. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. What did, what did Peter say to Jesus? Everything Peter said to Jesus makes sense to the natural man. Jesus, you're not supposed to die. Don't talk about going to the cross. To any normal person who loves Jesus, that sounds like a good thing to say. But let's just take a step back. Could it be that Peter knew that he had a close relationship with Jesus, and Jesus is going to be the Messiah, sitting on a throne, and he's thinking, you know what? I have got life looking good for me for the next few years. <laughs> I just need to stay connected to this guy, and we're going to have this incredible influence. Didn't, they, didn't the disciples fight about who was going to see next? I mean, they had this ambition. So I am thinking maybe Peter is hearing Jesus say, oh, you know, I'm going to go to the cross and die. Peter's thinking, no, 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 Jesus. You're not going to die because our hopes are connected to you right now. So his desire to not have Jesus fulfill his assignment that he was ignorant to, that desire was coming from a selfish ambition and selfish desires. So Jesus then says to him, you're not concerned about, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So Peter's undealt with flesh desires became a landing strip for the devil to manifest through him. Are you hearing me? Peter's undealt with selfish desires opened him up to voice Satan's intentions. Now you understand why it's so important that we're allowing God to deal with our hearts. Because if I am embracing selfish desires, things of the flesh... 
and I can find even spiritual ways to make it sound okay, if it's of the flesh as far as heaven is concerned, if I don't deal with it, I will eventually become a voice for the enemy in some other situations. Because I said yesterday, the flesh is to the devil, what your flesh is to the devil, what your spirit is to the Holy Spirit. So the enemy would want to work through the, the flesh. Well, God is in the business of crucifying the flesh. In fact, that's why right after this, this declaration where Jesus says, you're, you're, not, you're, you're not mindful of the things of God, but things of men. Then Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, look at what he says, let him pick up, let, or let him deny himself, take up his cross. That's after one of his disciples has allowed his flesh to become an open door for the enemy to speak. Take up your cross, Jesus says. Because if you take up your cross, your flesh is going to learn. Your flesh is going to be slain, and you're going to give the enemy little to no room to manifest himself. Now, back to Matthew 18. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, you go to him. And like I said, it's amazing to me how different people dealing with all sorts, sometimes even sin addictions, they easily just gravitate towards each other in a congregation, and they can become an open door for the enemy. So the constitution of your community has to be clear in that your values have to be clearly communicated. And for me, especially in the type of ministry I'm involved in, and I say to my staff team, and I say to people that work closely with me, I have zero tolerance for strife. That's my value system. I have zero tolerance for strife. Now, let me clarify. That's not to say I'm expecting you to be perfect. <laughs> Sorry, Nigel, I'm not picking on you today. <laughs> I'm not expecting you to be perfect, and I am not perfect either. In fact, the closer you get to me, the more you're going to realize my flaws. So I'm not trying to be painting myself as some perfect person. You can ask my wife. I am definitely not perfect. And so... I want us to give room for imperfections in each other, but have a healthy way of dealing with conflict. The fact that we have disagreements does not mean we are not spiritual. Did you hear me? The fact that my wife sometimes likes squeezing the toothpaste in all directions, and I like doing it from the bottom up, does not mean she's unspiritual and I'm spiritual. Or I'm spiritual. Are you with me? It's just preferences. Are you tracking with me? So there will be conflict. There will be disagreement. No church is perfect. There will be things that James might do. You might be like, oh, I don't, I'm not keen on that. There will be things that another leader might do. Oh, I don't know about that. But the fact that that is there does not make you unspiritual. It's how you deal with those thoughts and emotions that can become an issue. But many Christians have no level of discernment to know those sort of thoughts and those sort of emotions undealt with would actually, have felt the, would actually affect the corporate ranking of the authority of this congregation when you pray. Are you with me? So it's not just let's get together and pray and we're crying out to God. But we can be crying out to God, but the enemy is laughing at us because he knows he's planted seeds of discord in us. So even though we sound right with our prayers, our prayers are not dethroning the powers of darkness because we have tolerated unforgiveness, jealousy, envies in our midst. 
There's another, uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of a lady called Rachel Hickson. I don't know. She's an amazing minister, and she's like a mother to, to us, and we're so blessed by her ministry. Uh, Rachel Hickson, I, I think you love her. Have you ever connected with Rachel? Yeah. Anyway, I was with her just a few weeks ago, and she told me a story that just blew my mind. <laughs> so she said, some years ago, she started coming down with symptoms of stroke, where like one side of her face was dropping and she was having pain in her body and this was going on for some weeks and so the doctors did some search on her there was nothing found but this was just carrying on and she couldn't explain what was going on and she was really distressed anyway she walked into a meeting one day and i think an argentinian minister was ministering and as she walks into the meeting i forgot the name of the minister this minister walks up to her and put his hand behind her neck and i paraphrase now he said, I pull out the envy, the arrows of jealousy, and the criticisms that have been spoken against you. And he used his hand behind the neck as he's releasing this prayer or declaration and pulls this thing out of her. And she said she was slain and out in the spirit, like she was gone. As in she was so gone, her husband was worried because she didn't come back to herself for a very, I don't know how long, but for a very long time. So he was like, is she okay? Is she, is she alive still? Like she was gone. Now, when she eventually came back to herself, I believe some hours later, she was completely healed. She was telling me this happened to her, and she was saying, from that experience, she realized that the communion table is a scary place. Because she had been in a community that was taking communion, and there were people in that company that were jealous and envious towards her. Are you tracking with me? I hope Rachel is not, is not upset with me. No, Rachel will be okay with me saying this. She's okay with me saying this. And so, in that community, because of the negative emotions that were directed towards her by people that are part of her community, taking communion together, by them embracing those emotions, they opened up themselves for Satan and the enemy to manifest in that community towards the leader. Just like what Jesus did with Peter, where he said, your desires for the flesh, I paraphrase, has opened you up to be a voice for Satan. So when we take communion, that's why Paul says, let each man examine himself. You don't just take it anyhow. You're, Lord, is my heart right? <laughs> Is there unforgiveness in my heart towards any brother or sister? Lord, have I been speaking in a negative way towards anyone? And as you examine yourself, you repent, you deal with things, and then you come with reverence to the communion table, there is, there's power in that place then. Because you're coming knowing that it's such, a, rever it's such a, a, a significant thing to do and you don't want anything in you to clash with the values of the kingdom. And so I, I'm realizing it seems like the communion table is double-edged in that it could be an access point for the enemy to release attacks to people when it's not done discerning the body because of fleshly desires and things that we're holding onto that of the enemy. But also, the individual that's hosting the enemy is also a danger. Not just, the not just the individual they are directing their jealousy or envy or offense towards. The individual themselves is also a danger. I'm, are you hearing me today? So when Jesus talks about prayer, the context of prayer that's binding and loosening, the context here is 
conflict resolution, healthy conflict resolution. And to do this, um, I often share with my team and I say things along the lines of the different expressions of love. And I see two expressions of love that we need to embrace more of. And I say this to my community, my team. I say, listen, love covers. Everyone say love covers. covers. What that looks like is, what's your name? Sam. Sam offends me. And I look at Sam and I think, okay, I know he's having a hard day. I know he's, he's, there's so much stress in his life and blah, 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 blah. So I'm going, you know what? I'm not going to bother about bringing that up. I'm going to just let that go because I, I can see, I can understand where he's coming from. There's no need to kind of just add to his stress by bringing that up. So in that moment, it's going to be a love covers moment. Now, if it's a love covers moment, it means I don't have the right to bring that up again. Six months down the line, I'm like, Sam, remember six months ago, you wore this jumper, you said this to me, you said that to me. Well, James, I thought you said love covers. Why are you still bringing it up? If, if it's covered, does God bring up your sins to you again? <laughs> if he has forgiven, as far as the east is from the west, right? So love covers mean is gone. Forget about it. I don't even need to talk to you about it. I'm letting go. Now... <laughs> the problem with that is some people, your personality type is you hate confrontation. So your default is to go love covers. So you think you're in the mode of love covers when really it's still bothering you. Are you with me? If it's still bothering you, it means you have to transition from love covers to love confronts. If you really love someone and you want relationship to be right between you and them, and there's something that they've done or there's something that you feel that's out of order, then you have to transition to talk to them about it. There's a time to cover and there's a time to confront. It's not every time you confront and it's not every time you cover. So you have to discern, is this a love covers moment or is this a love confronts moment? If it's a love confront moment, then you have to speak to the lead. Let me give an example. I remember I was at a meeting once. It was a, like a leaders meeting in our city, and there was a few leaders there. And uh, one of the guys hosting the meeting is a good friend of mine. I, you know, so after the meeting, I was on my way out, and so we just exchanged greetings. You know. But I walked, out, I walked away from that moment feeling... Like, he was just being weird with me. I was like, that just felt a bit odd. I'm, I'm thinking, this is a bit strange. I don't know, what have I done? Or, I was trying to think, there's no reason for him to have been the way he was when I was greeting him as I was leaving. So in my mind, I'm thinking, what on earth is going on? Now, as I'm processing this, I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm driving, by the way. I think I'm on a school run. And I've just left the meeting. I'm thinking, okay, you know what? I have a choice right now. I could either just ignore this, or I can just call him now and have a conversation. Now, if I ignored it, I knew that it would still have been sitting at the back of my mind the next time I see him. Because that wrong idea could become a space for the enemy to bring further discord. So I called him and I said, you know, hey, hope you're doing well, blah, blah, blah. It was great to see you earlier. I said, you know... This, I said, this might just be me. I might have got this completely wrong. But when we kind of spoke at the end of the meeting, I just felt like, you know, it was a bit awkward. And I, I didn't know. It felt like there was something between us that wasn't meant to be there or something was off. Do you know what he said? 
He said, I'm just an awkward person. I am just, I, how do you say now? He said, I'm an introvert and I'm just a socially awkward person. That's what it is. Are you tracking with me? So in that moment, I realized if I didn't have that conversation with him, I could have easily allowed that idea to be an access point for the enemy, and it would have affected that relationship some weeks and months down the line. What am I trying to say? Having the courage to approach a brother or a sister and say, hey, in humility, I'm feeling this, and I just want it resolved. Can we just have a moment to talk through this? Listen, that could be one of the most important things you can, you can adopt as a culture in your community if you're going to be people of prayer. Because there's no point stirring up all the prayer when the enemy is looking for loopholes in your relationships to neutralize the effectiveness of your prayer. Are you with me? I'm going to wrap up because I can see the kids are in. Can I get a keyboard player? Where's your son? He was on the keys. Because I want to use that as an illustration. Yes, there you are. Can you get on the keys for me and play me a C chord or a simple chord? <laughs> a C chord or something like that. Now, and I wrap up with this illustration and then we're going to pray. Is that a C chord? Great. Now, when you look through the book of Acts, you realize this, these words are repeated often, especially in the early parts of the book of Acts. This is where it says, one accord. Everyone say one accord. They prayed in one accord. They were together in one accord. The day of Pentecost came, they were in one accord. How many of you have noticed those words through the book of Acts? Hands up. You heard that? That is so important. Repeat, one accord. Okay, now play that C chord for me. Now, you don't have to be musical to understand this. In the C chord, the basic C major chord, you have three notes. You have the C note, you have the E note, and you have the G note. Now, when he plays that chord, play the chord for me. It sounds good, doesn't it? You know, it's, oh yeah, that sounds nice. The reason why it sounds nice is each note is different. But each note is rightly aligned to the next note. The E note is confident in its own identity. The E note is not praying, saying, Lord, why have you made me an E note? Why don't I sound like the C? Lord, I am feeling insecure about this unique uh, frequency you've given me. I am jealous about the fact that I don't sound like the G and I don't look like the C. The E note is not insecure about its sound. Are you with me? So the E note is secure in who God's made it and how it sounds. So is the C note. The C note is not trying to sound like the G note. He's not trying to look like that. He's not trying to pray like the G note. He's just trying to do what's called to do, which is release that frequency, that unique frequency. And so is the G note. Now, what makes them release such a, 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 a harmonious sound is the fact that each note is different, but it's rightly aligned next to one another. That is a great picture of what it means to be in one accord. It's a sound of harmony. So when we come together to pray, I'm not expecting Nigel to look like me. I'm not expecting James to be like me. I'm not expecting anyone to be like me. And if I am being who God's called me to be, they should also be free to be who God's called them to be. And if Nigel is fully Nigel, I am fully me, James is fully being him, and God, when we come together and our hearts are okay with each other, the sound we release is a harmony that goes up to heaven. It's not a sound of discord. It's a sound of being in one accord. Are you hearing me today? 
So there is no point meeting to pray if our hearts are not okay with one another. We might as well stop the prayer meeting and go, hey, our hearts, is, are we okay being together? Now, I understand that could be difficult to do in a congregation of 500 people. I get it. But it has to be a value system that everyone starts to adopt as a way they steward their hearts. Because I'm telling you, there's so many moves of God that have been hijacked by the enemy because of not having a strong value system for how we treat one another. You can't tell me you love God when you're horrible to your neighbor. You can't tell me you love God at the same time you're speaking bad about your leaders and everything about you is just causing strife and, you know, all this drama. Like I said, my team, my community, we have zero tolerance with strife. Now, to be honest, it doesn't mean we've not had issues to deal with. We just make sure it's dealt with properly. And at times when you need to sit for hours just to iron something out, and then you finish that meeting knowing that, okay, we have resolved this, and this is now in the past. And because we value reconciliation, we're moving onwards in relationship. In fact, sometimes if, if those things are handled correctly, your relationship goes deeper afterwards. It's only natural that if I were to cut you with a knife or cut you with a sharp object, you're going to bleed. Every human bleeds. It's just normal. It's not wrong to bleed, but if that wound is not treated properly, it's going to get infected. Hello, demons. So I might do something that might offend you. It's okay that you're... Well, it's natural that you will be offended because of whatever factors, you know. You may be offended. Now... If you don't deal with that properly and have that resolved, the enemy is going to come in and that area of offense is going to become an access point for him to bring further discord in the community, which will in turn affect the corporate unity. Okay? Do you understand with me? Because I would like us to pray into this as we transition. Feel free to play. (laughs) You know... I really feel there's some of you in this room today where you need to, um, you need to have a moment to uh, have the Lord expose areas of your heart that His government is not real in right now. So without trying to make something, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know what the word is. Like my mind is, is, is going off. Without trying to make too much of like a drama around this, I, I want you where you are uh, to begin to just examine your heart with the Lord. Lord, do I have offense in my heart? Lord, do I have envy and jealousy in my heart? Lord, am I embracing the works of the flesh and excusing it or not addressing it and expelling it? Lord, are there areas of my heart that are not fully aligned with the values of your kingdom? Father, I don't want to be an access point for the enemy in this community to neutralize our corporate authority. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would help me to value relationships like you do. For some of you, you need to, at the end of this meeting, maybe send a text message and call someone, and you need to forgive. You've been holding on to offense for too long, and you need to just let go and say, Lord, this has been a painful experience. But I know the right thing to do is to forgive. So, Lord, I choose to let go and I ask for the grace. Even as I let this relationship come under your government, I ask for your healing to come on my heart right now. 
to remove every hurt and every pain and every disappointment. I understand relationships are complex. I know there are all kinds of depths to what I'm saying right now that we can't necessarily cover right now.